0: Is uh, turn our attention to to this we believe. Now, when I say this we believe, uh, I'm going to try to do this once or twice a year. Last year we talked about the church. All right. Uh, What is it that we believe about church, about church membership, and and what does that look like biblically? All right. Today, and for the next two uh, more weeks, uh, we're going to talk about the biblical understanding of. Marriage, the biblical understanding. Listen, this is a very important issue, and here's why. Biblically, you cannot read a book without it coming out, all right? It's just about in every book of the Bible. All right. You're going to experience a marriage and uh, either the blessings or the repercussions of uh, marriages that go well and marriages that aren't going so well and, and uh, obedience and disobedience. You see that throughout Scripture. And I believe it is so important because God actually put marriage together to show you an eternal truth. Okay, We're going to see that. Next week. All right. There's six main things I want to share with you. But for time's sake, I've broken it into three today and then three next week. And then we'll bow tie it all together on the third week uh, so that we can understand biblically what marriage is about. Now listen, when we talk about marriage, it is a hot topic. And here's why it's a hot topic. topic. <laughs> because what I just said, marriage is extremely important to God. Extremely important. All the things that we're going to talk about about with marriage, those things were put in place before the fall, before sin even came about. So this is a universal truth. The things that we're going to talk about are universal truths. They didn't just happen because of sin. The things that God wants us to know about marriage is things that God put together in the beauty of His holiness and then the greatness of his knowledge and his will. So I want to, I want you to feel the weight of marriage because it's tough because number one, God values it at a very high level. And because God values it at a high level, those who are opposed to God will want to defy it at every level. And so even this time, even if you've been in church for, for weeks, months, or many years, some things may be said that may rub against the grain listen before you get frustrated angry and upset and reject what's said ask yourself is is this biblical all right is this the word of god or is it scott's opinion if it's scott's opinion throw it out all right but but if what is said is biblical then we have a higher authority that we either uh submit to or reject so There's much weight in this. And so I wanted to lay that from the beginning, all right, as we dive in to some very important passages of Scripture. And because marriage is, again, all over the Scripture, I'm I'm having to force myself to just a handful of verses. And you could always read more. You can go online to look up even more verses as well. But listen, this message is crucial to the heart of God. And so just because I said the word marriage, I want to be very careful on something else. I want to be careful that you do not check out, right? If you think this does not apply to you, you are absolutely wrong. Think about this for a moment. If this generation right now decided to cut out biblical marriage and the understanding of all that's, that's involved with, and we still want to honor God and we cut out marriage, there won't be another generation, okay? There won't be another generation if we want to honor God and, and then not marry, All right, marriage is the foundation of our society, of our community. If Christians do not follow God in marriage, then we don't have a next generation. If we do it biblically, I know there's uh, things outside of marriage, but I'm speaking biblically here. All right, so with that said, this message is for every one of you in this room. To the not yet married, to the no longer married, and to those who are right in the midst of the marriage journey. These three messages are for you. And another way I'm going to kind of condense or box myself in is I'm going to share with you the the heart of this topic of marriage based on our statement of beliefs. Our church has a statement of beliefs in our bylaws. And most of it comes from the Baptist faith and message. For those that do not know, we are Buck Creek Baptist church. We are a church affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so, as a convention, what we do is we want to pull our resources together to be sure that all the nations have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And the thing that kind of ties us together is our statement of belief. Okay? Are we going to believe the same things so that we can partner together, not just financially, but also spiritually? So, here's what the Baptist faith and message, at least part one, of marriage mentions. All right? And it'll be on your screen. Marriage... It's what brings us to... No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's... If you've not seen that movie, never mind. Okay. Uh, marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means of procreation in the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God, since both are created in God's image. Now, there's more to that, and we'll talk about that next week. But that's enough for us to, to chew on today. So let's, let's focus on three points of the biblical understanding of marriage. Number one, marriage is defined by God. Marriage is defined by God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and if you have your Bible, I would uh, recommend going to Genesis 2, uh, you may also want to flip through Matthew 19, and then Hebrews 13, and I, I'll give you uh, time to, to flip through those when the time does come. Also, the scriptures are on the screen, so uh, either get your Bible out, get your app, your, your iPad or phone. and. Get to these verses because it is something that you may want to actually mark. If, if, if you have a copy of God's word, I want to recommend to you to highlight and to uh, maybe make some drawings. Because there's some beautiful connection here in these passages. Alright, so message, uh, marriage is defined by God. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, God says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. That means to, to leave and then cleave. Okay. To hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, at this point, some who are rubbed even by that definition are like, well, that's just the Old Testament. All right. Things have changed now. We've, we've grown in our understanding. Well, uh, no, it hadn't because thousands and thousands of years later in the New Testament, we see Matthew 19, Jesus describing what marriage is. The uh, Pharisees were coming after Jesus, trying to stump him, trying to get Jesus to say something that was not biblical, something that was not right. And so they wanted to hone on an issue of divorce. And they said, hey, well, why does Moses, You know, since, since God has such a high standard for marriage, uh, then why, why is there uh, divorce? And so Jesus says this, In verse 3, Matthew 19, 3, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let not man Separate. So in this we see that that Jesus himself says that marriage is a union between a male and a female for life. Uh, Our definition is starting to expand a bit now. It is a union between a male and a female for life. To go one step further, we turn to the Old Testament book of Malachi. The Old Testament book of Malachi. So if you're in Matthew, it's the book just before that. Malachi chapter two verse fourteen. Now God is is uh, judging His people because there was unfaithfulness going on in the marriage. There was problems going on, things that, that men were hating and being hated. It was a, it was a very bad situation in the time of Israel, and God wants to make a beautiful point to those who are. Uh, Messing up their marriage. He says this in Malachi 2.14. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. To whom you have been faithless. Though she is your your companion. And listen to this. And your wife by what? By covenant. So now the definition has really expanded and solidified. So here's the biblical definition of marriage. Alright. Marriage is... A covenant, a God ordained covenant, and I'll get to the ordination part in a moment, is a God given covenant between one man and one woman for life. That is the definition of a marriage. Now in all six of the points I'm gonna give you the next couple of weeks, I wanna show you God's standard for marriage, his high, his beautiful, his holy standard, one that we, that we should desire if we love him. We want to desire to be in that area, to be in that, that sweet spot where God pours out his blessings. It doesn't mean it's gonna be easy because here's the, the deal about marriage. Marriage is a union of two sinners. And their goal in life is to build themselves up. So marriage is always going to be tough. But you want to be in that sweet spot of blessing. This is the definition. Again, it is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. But here's where man wrecks it. Alright? Man, although God defines marriage, man always desires to redefine marriage. Marriage. Always defined. and here's the first thing that they do: they forsake covenant for a contract. They forsake covenant for a contract. Now, I want to get I want to get secular with you for a moment. All right, I wanted to look up what covenant, the difference between covenant and contract is, and you do that on Google. It's, it's pretty interesting. I actually put uh, pulled up a lawyer website. Right, and here's what it says. And it is so beautiful what this says. Here's what the lawyers say. The difference between a covenant and a contract is evident when someone breaks either one of these agreements. A contract, listen to this, a contract is invalid when one of the involved parties violates it. You get that? A contract Two people come into an agreement or two corporations, whatever. And it's broken when one of the parties mess up. When one of the parties violate that contract. On the other hand, a covenant remains intact even if one of the parties breach it. You see the difference? A covenant takes one. I mean, a contract takes one. A covenant remains intact. A covenant, he goes on to say, a covenant is an agreement that you can break. while uh, Yeah, yeah. A co- excuse me, not a covenant. A contract is an agreement that you can break. While a covenant is a perpetual promise. All right. This is what lawyers are saying here. A contract exchanges one good for another. Okay, both parties saying we're going to have some mutual benefit to this. We may make some whatever compromises, but I'm going to be benefited by this, and you're going to be benefited by this. That's what a contract says. While a covenant is the giving of oneself to the other. That is completely different. One can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part of the deal. Okay, let me say that again. One can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part of the deal. However, in a covenant, the party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations. That is a big deal. A covenant is a lifelong commitment to say, I am going to give a 100%... Even if you give zero. That's what a marriage is. But the world has defined it as a contract. They define it based on subjective emotions. And the determining factor for how the world defines marriage. Here's the determining factor. It's mutual love. That's a contract. Mutual love love and however you define that because listen what happens when the love diminishes contract the world has redefined marriage as no matter the gender god had said male and female from the beginning no matter the gender no matter the parties or the number thereof We even have reality shows that highlight this and glorify many relationships within marriage. How about the social norms? It doesn't matter the social norms. I'm going to do what I want. Why? Because I love this person or persons. Nor do they have a limit on time. It's something that I can do until I don't want to do it anymore. That's how the world describes it. Now at this point, marriage is a hot button. And depending on whether you're watching CNN or Fox News or any other kind of news station, you're going to get different ideals and different opinions about marriage and what should and should not be quantified as marriage. So I just want to make this statement. And I am not soft towing this. It may sound like it, but I'm not. Because here's what I've come to find out. Everyone in this room hopefully has a beating heart. Everyone in this room has real emotion. Everyone in this room is a person made in the image of God that God desires above anything else that you would come to know Him as Savior and Lord of your life. No matter where your definition of marriage is, God's one priority for you is that you would know Him. That you would know Him as Savior and Lord. So I want to say from the onset, for those who are struggling with the definition of marriage, because you may be struggling with um, loving someone who is of the same sex as you. Listen, I am not going to deny that your feelings are real. I cannot say, no, you really don't love somebody. I don't have that power. I don't have that authority. Nor... Can I say that if you come to Christ today, that He will take away your temptations? I cannot promise you that. But I can promise you that if you come to Christ, whatever it is that you may be doing in rebellion against Him, there is a God who loved you so much that He would die on a cross. For every sin, no matter the magnitude or the minuteness of it. He died so that you can have a relationship with God that will never end. No matter the baggage you carry. No matter the heat that you have taken in this world. No matter the scars that have been either placed upon you or you have put upon yourself. There is a God in heaven who wants to rescue you from sin, death, and hell. If you come to him, he'll show you what true love is, and he'll be with you in your temptation. And know this, you are not alone. There is a church here. There is a small group that will welcome you with open arms and pour out to you the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ. And you will have the opportunity to see how wicked and sinful we are. Okay. And be on that journey together. So I urge you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, I plead with you by the mercy and grace of God, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Listen, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ and you are living a lifestyle that is forbidden in the word of God. You are doing an act of defiance to the very God who made you and that through his word has revealed to you his glorious plan for you. You are in disobedience to him. Are you willing to throw away God's great, God's perfect, God's unchanging will for your ever-changing one? Because you're going to flip. We're all going to flip on our emotions, our feelings, and all those things. Those are going to happen. But there's one thing that's constant, and that is the word and the will of God for your life. Cling to that. I have more to say on this in a moment. But the next thing. Marriage is defined by God. Number two, marriage is ordained by God. It's honored by God. It's, it's blessed by God. Of course it is. God invented it. Of course it is. As you're going to find out next week, marriage paints a beautiful picture of God's relationship with the whole church. Of course it is. Marriage is where even the Trinity is, uh, displayed for the world to see if we display it in the kindness and the goodness that God showed it to us. Marriage is ordained by God. Let's go back to Genesis uh, chapter 2, and let's expand these verses a little bit. It's ordained by God. Uh, Chapter 2 verse 21 says this, "...so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh." And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is ordained by God. God is the originator and God is the establisher Of the covenant commitment of marriage. God is the one who gives the plan for marriage. He defines it and he gives the plan. Many of us tend to think that God gave the idea and humanity is supposed to perfect it. That is not the case. It's already perfect. And here's what it is. Just in that last verse, we're to leave. We're to leave the, the parents' authority. Obviously, we're going to still honor our parents for the rest of our lives. Even if their lives have passed. We're going to honor our parents for the rest of our lives. But our priority becomes our spouse. Our priority needs to become our spouse. How many marriages are struggling because even though they may uh, come together in a home separate from the parents, they never leave the parents' authority? So we are called to leave, we are called to cleave to the spousal responsibilities, and we'll talk about that next week. What it is that God has gloriously called each and every one of us to do in this covenant called marriage. And then we're to become one. To become one flesh. That is the origin of marriage. That is the heart of marriage. That is what God blesses in the life of a couple and of a family. If we would leave, cleave, and become one and guess what? God has set His divine approval, He has set His blessing, and He has set His covenant on marriage. You know what we did? We hijacked it. We as humans have hijacked it, and, and the means we use to hijack is to render marriage meaningless. Think about this: marriage. According to the world is meaningless. Why even do that? We love each other. We're already living like what a couple should live like. Why go through the hassle of marriage? Why go through the payment for marriage? Why make it legal, right? I see this happening, and I hear about it happening, not just with young people, but even with older people. I hear things going on like in Florida. I guess Florida is where everyone likes to go when they get older. I don't know. Um, But... You have people who end up, they may be widowed, and in, the, in their widowness, they get a certain paychecks, I guess, for, for being widows and, and all that stuff. And if they were to get married, they would lose portions of that. So what they do is they still live together and enjoy sexual union, but not in the covenant of marriage. All for the sake of money. Does that honor God? Does that honor God? Or how about, the, how about the example that brings to our kids and our grandkids? They say, what's the point? What's the, what's the use of marriage when I can get everything I want without this covenant? So instead of looking at God's ordination, God's approval and blessing for marriage, we choose convenience, and here it comes. We choose the pleasure of sex above commitment. In marriage. Here's how we destroy that. If you have your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Talk about a circleable or underlineable passage here. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. This is how we hijack it. The writer of Hebrews says, Let marriage be held in honor... Among all. I would circle that part. Let marriage be held in honor among all. So right here, when we choose to dishonor marriage, we are breaking the heart and the will of God. When we choose to dishonor. But you're thinking to yourself, okay, how do we dishonor marriage? Okay, that that, that seems like a pretty blanket term. Well, guess what? We don't have to wonder. Okay, so if I've circled that part. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let me just keep reading. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. I would then circle the sexually immoral. And I'll get to the reasons why those two are, are circled right here in just a moment. So right now I'm going to ask you to do something crazy and trust me, okay? And the next point will bring this out uh, to its uh, completion. Let marriage be held in honor among all, but God will judge the sexually immoral. What this tells me is sex before marriage dishonors marriage. Those who choose God's way, I'm going to save myself for marriage, whether you're Uh, whether you've never been married before or you're uh, going to be remarried or whatever, when you make that commitment that before God, I want to marry you and I want to experience all the blessings that God has for our marriage, I'm going to wait. I know that sex is beautiful. Sex is wonderful. There's a whole book in the Bible about uh, the joy of sex in marriage. We get that, but... What makes it beautiful is whenever there's, when it's guilt-free. What makes it beautiful is whenever the approval of God is upon it. And what we see in the scriptures, the approval of God in sex is in the covenant of marriage. It's actually in the word sexually immoral. The word pornea is talking about sex outside of the bounds that God has established. And the bound that God has established is what? Marriage. Alright? So... Let marriage be held in honor by all. Listen, when we commit sexual immorality, we are dishonoring marriage because that's one of the beauties of marriage is that I share a oneness, not just emotionally, not just financially, not just spiritually, and we'll talk about that as well, about a spiritual union in marriage, but also physically. All of those things come into play whenever you are married uh, in the covenant that God has established. So sex before marriage dishonors marriage. And it dishonors the one who originated it. So I urge you, and I'll urge you again later, if you are in a relationship now that is dishonoring God, stop. Stop. Number three, marriage brings completeness. Marriage brings completeness. We all want to be complete in Christ. And from a spiritual perspective, we have that. If you have come to know Jesus Christ, you need no other thing. But guess what? We live in a world that for some reason, even in the economy of God, we need each other. We need each other. Some of us, though, may be saying, well, that's not me because I'm gifted with celibacy. Listen, even if you have the gift of celibacy, think about how God defined the church, that you are a member of the body, okay? Even if you're a celibate person, you may be a pinky toe or you may be a liver or you may be a neck or whatever the case may be of the body, but you need us and we need you. We are created for community, So even if you're celibate, and even if you believe that's God's gift upon your life, we still need each other for completion. So let's go to Genesis 2. Let's expand a little bit further. Let's start in verse 18. 18. So marriage is defined by God. It is ordained by God. And number three, marriage brings completion or completeness. Here's what the the verse says. Then God said, after he looked at all of his creation, he said, it is not good. That man should be alone. And I will make him a helper fit for him. I will make someone who is perfect for that human being. I'll make a human that's perfect for a human. The word helper is the same word that's used in the New Testament in the Greek word paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. You and I, living in this crazy fallen world, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. So much, in fact, that if you understand the resurrection story, as Jesus has gathered with hundreds of people, he gives them the great commission. And while he's saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And listen, do all these things that I command you, and I will be with you to the end of the age. And so he goes up. But then before that, he actually warns them and says, I want y'all to go into an upper room and pray until the Holy Spirit comes. Because Jesus knew that we, if we tried to, to live for God outside of the Holy Spirit, we would mess it up. We would mess it up royally. And so he's like, wait for the helper to come. And I have found that to be true in my life. I need the Holy Spirit every hour of every day. But you know what else I need? I need my wife every moment of every day i need to know that she's there she's a phone call away if we're separated we need to i need to know that my wife loves me that gets me going i'm just being honest with you that gets me excited to breathe and he says it is not good that man should be alone but i will make him a helper fit for him the word fit means suitable Basically, it's, I need someone just like me. Meaning equality there is what it's saying. A help will fit for him. Exactly what we need each other. I cannot do life alone. One commentator says, uh, men without female companionship and partnership, we could never fully realize our humanity. And it's the same for women. Women without male companionship and partnership, again, whether it's church-wide or it's in the covenant of marriage, we could not fully realize our humanity. We can't do it. So God makes this beautiful statement. It's not good for man to be alone. Look at verse 19. Now let's bring this to fruition here. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird in the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. Listen, there was nothing in all of creation at that time that was suitable for Adam's companionship. Every animal that passed was insufficient to be his companion. Every one of them, to which Adam named every animal. And you know what was consistent about every name? Was I there? Do I? Elephant? Giraffe? Peacock? No, I wasn't there. But here's what I do know. According to the scripture right there, here's what basically he said. Not like me. Not like me. Not like me. Here comes the skunk. Oh, definitely not like me. I mean, that's that's what was going on in Adam's life. There was no one, no animal in all of creation at that time that would be a companion for him. Someone that he can fellowship with. None. No animal could meet his needs. Only someone like him. A woman. Women. We can't live without you. And to the women, hopefully you'd say the same. (laughs) Hopefully. With that said, look at verse 21. God seen the dilemma. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made to a woman. And brought her to the man. We'll bring that out more next week. Then the man said. This is at last. Now someone is coming before me. None of the animals could do. Now this one that God is walking down the aisle. Okay. This one he says. At last. is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. When Adam saw Eve, he said something completely different than he said about all the other animals. Not like me, not like me. When he saw her, he said, like me. Like me. One commentator says about the beautiful equality of men and women. He says, she is not above me. She is not beneath me. She is like me and together we fulfill the roles that God has given us on this earth. And the roles are to bear the image of God, to care over his creation for all generations. That is the call of God upon our life. And the strength of this, remember marriage brings completion. Marriage brings completion. All I need is Jesus. And God, thank you, because you know that there's another need in my life. Thank you, God, for my wife. You bring completion. But listen, the very strength of this community, the very strength of our world, the very strength of a marriage is based on marital fidelity. You hear that? So if the strength of marriage, when we say that God brings completion, a man and a woman become one, and we say the strength of that union, that family, that church, that community, that world is based on marital fidelity, what does man do to wreck it? Adultery. Adultery is what man does to wreck it. Back to Hebrews 13.4. Remember I told you that we still had to work on that one? Hebrews 13.4, listen to what it says. The marriage is to be held in honor. How do we dishonor the marriage? Remember that? How do we do that? Did you circle it? Sexual immorality. Okay, fornication. Okay, that's how we do it. And let's read the rest of this passage. And let the marriage bad. Now they're married. The first part, let marriage be held in honor, but if you're doing sexual immorality, you're not married yet, but you're having uh, sex outside of marriage. But now we've moved into a different territory here. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the what? And the adulterous. So then I would make a circle around, let the marriage bed be undefiled, and draw a line to adultery. Because that, Is what cause, that's what causes marriages, the main reason for marriages to break is infidelity, is adultery. So to dishonor marriage is sexual immorality. To defile marriage is adultery. Folks, these are the three points that I believe God wants us to, to, to understand. And to live out when it comes to marriage. Now there's still three more points. What, what is the role in marriage? Uh, how does how does uh, marriage show us a picture of the gospel and the very heart of God? That's going to happen next week, so you do not want to miss this. But with every positive things, there's also the way that we have wrecked it and ruined it. Okay, so we're going to deal with wrecked marriages even next week as well. But here's what I want to end with, and, and I want everyone to. To, to play a part in this, okay? Don't, don't think, I've got too much in my hand right now. Put things aside and I want you to be very honest here for a moment, all right? Just in these three points, some of you may have felt a weight, weight that you have blown it. And if that's true, I want you to know that you're not alone. So I'm going to ask you to be bold here for a moment. If you ever blew it in whether... The definition, the ordination, or the completeness in marriage. If you have ever sinned in marriage, if your marriage is not perfect, raise your hand. Wow. We got about 30% of marriages that are perfect. You need to be teaching this, not me. I'm going to ask it again. And this is past, present, and future. If you are not living or have ever lived in a perfect marriage, raise your hand. Okay, yes, we're up to 90%. Yes, awesome. Folks, the point of that is this. You may have felt you've blown it. Join the club. We have blown it. And if the story ended there, that would be very sad. But it's not. I'm going to talk about even divorce next week. And I want to tell you something. If there was a line of people here, people who have never divorced and people who have divorced, where would God be in that line? If you read the book of Jeremiah, God had to write a letter of divorce to his people. God knows how you feel. We're going to talk about that. Next week. You got to be here for this. But today. You've blown it. Join the club. If you've been divorced. Come back next week. If you have struggled in sexual sin. Listen. There is hope in the gospel. If you are married right now. And you are breaking covenant. With your wife. Or your husband. Listen. You need to come next week. But I would say, don't wait till next week to get right with God. Because listen, what I've come to find out is that God knows what we have gone through. God has struggled with us. Some of us have a burden that I could not have ever imagined. And I'm going to make a statement today, and you've got to come back next week to help me unpack this. But divorce is caused by sin, but not all divorce is sin. What in the world do we mean by that? So if that's you, I want you to, want you to rest in the grace of God, the very one who knows exactly what you have dealt with. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, here's what the Scripture says to us today. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For those of us who blew it, listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every one of you that raised your hands... You need God's mercy and grace. And you know what God does? He doesn't say, come back next week, come back when you're cleaned up. He says, that is the exact time when you need to come to me. To receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Now is not the time to run away from God or run away from his church. If you are struggling and you have family members that are struggling in relationships, in marriage, in anything, the first place you must go is to the feet of Jesus. You must come into the Father's arms who wants to hold you. And according to Zephaniah 3.17, to sing a song of love over you, to comfort you who are broken. Don't run away from church. Don't run away from your small group. That is what you need most right now. So please come to receive the healing. To receive the bread. To receive the rejuvenation that you so desperately need. Come to Christ. Come to his people. God knows. God hurts. God cares. And listen. If you would be so bold even today. We have our invitation to come up to the altar. Here's what God's word says about if any of us have ever failed. If any of us have ever failed in 1st John 1 8, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what God desires to do in your life. But, but Pastor Scott, you don't know. Listen. I don't know your story, but I have enough of my own story that I definitely need today a reset button. I have, I have a relationship with God through Christ that's never going to end by his holding on to me, not me. But I have a relationship that constantly needs confession. Our relationship sometimes can be marred by my sin, not his. He never sins. And so maybe today, maybe something that was said, or maybe you brought something in that has nothing to do with what I said, But you have come to realize that, you know what? I'm kind of dirty today. I have some unconfessed sin in my life. Listen, the altar is open. If you want to pray with somebody, we're going to have, whenever we stand up, we're going to have a group of like six people up here who would love to pray with you and and pray for you. You don't even have to get specific if you don't want. Get specific as you need to. Say, pray for me. I'm, I'm in a hole and I need to get out. And they'll pray for you. Some of you may have realized, listen, I'm praying to a God who doesn't hear me because I don't have a relationship with him. Listen, you come to these six people, men and women, and what they will do is they'll show you the truths in God's word of how you can know that you know that you have a relationship with God by trusting in his son, Jesus Christ, who died for every bit of your sin, past, present, and future, so that you can have eternity with him and forgiveness of sin. Listen, this message, marriage... Yeah, it's a picture of something much bigger than you think. So what we need to do is stop creating it on our own, creating our definitions and thoughts, and submit to the one who already...